good evening ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another straight talking english my name is Catherine. as ever i am your host and today we are going to talk about the magical robert browning hymn of frankly circular facial hair indeed it is like a magnificent hairy circle unlike dot 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 me on twitter str8 talk english on twitter straight talking english.com i have a facebook book group patreon forward slash straight talking english if you would like to donate to the show every penny counts and of course youtube slash straight talking english i have just put up a video last night in fact about lord Bro- lord byron and when we two parted Gosh, I am mashing my words today, and that is not a good sign for a podcast. Thank you very, very, very much in advance to my voice actors, Vicky and Casper, for today, because Porphyria's Lover and My Last Duchess were included in the same collection. It basically doesn't make sense to do separate episodes for them, because it's not like I can say, well, this one's from this point in his career, and this point's from, this one's from that one. Though, I've noticed a really weird thread going through the anthology poems, just, you know, to get off track before I've even started my story. They are all from first collections by poets who would later go on to be incredibly famous. And they are also not the most famous poems from each collection. So if you look at the books the first ones came out in, there'll be a big headline poem, and then the anthology people will have picked one that isn't really included any scholarship because it's obscure. And it's really weird. So you get these like quite young writers who are going to go on to do great things, but the context at which they're writing it isn't the context of the great person's whole life. It's weird. And I can't tell if this is a deliberate thread or some kind of conspiracy theory. And once again, if you are the person that put together the AQA anthology, I need to buy you dinner and talk to you about what you did and why. I need to find out if this is a real conspiracy or if I'm not going into full tinfoil hat territory. Right, let's get cracking. Mr. Robert Browning was born in Camberwell, South London boy. I like it. Camberwell's now quite nice. It's on a 484 bus from Lewisham, which I get three days a week. But then it's basically like a generically middle class place. And one of the things that would surprise people who met Browning in later life was how ordinary he was. Because you'd expect someone who's writing about like psycho jokes you know potentially killing their wives would be some kind of twisted vincent price looking dude no he's actually pretty normal his dad was a clerk at the bank of england but there was a big twist a twisty twist whereas your average middle class person goes public school route so boarding school where we are born to rule the empire. Anyway, I was going to make a really inappropriate joke there, but I won't. Browning 
is not. While papes like Shelley and Byron went the old Oxford or Cambridge route, Browning didn't, and that's because his parents were called non-conformists, the same as Blakey. Basically, you are Christian, you believe in God and Jesus, but you do not subscribe to the Catholic Church or the Church of England. So if you're someone who is a Methodist or a Baptist or an Evangelical or anyone from any kind of denomination that we would accept now as being totally fine, nope, non-conformist, get out of here. So those weren't open to Browning. His dad took the controversial step of homeschooling him. Again, relatively uncontroversial, but the only reason I say controversial in Browning's case is because his dad, like, collected re weird, rare books and was just like, all right, Robert, have at it. And he's got, like, biographies of rabbis and Latin texts about alchemy and all of Shakespeare, but it's weirdly translated and stuff. And, like, little Browning loves it and he grows up with this really odd set of influences. And you're like, you're right, all right, all right. He didn't realise at any point that this wasn't normal. It's like, but surely everybody reads Hebrew before they're 12. And everyone else is like, nah, 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 it's just you, mate, it's just you. He goes to um, what's called University of London. Even though University of London still exists today, we probably refer to the separate parts of it under their own names, so UCL, LSE, Kings, um, there's a number of different parts of it, all of which are very fine. I was going to say massive props to the one my sister went to, Eastman's! It's the forgotten child of University of London, Eastman's Dental. Yes, even Eastman's Dental's in University of London. But he only did a term. Basically, he was one of these many, many people in our anthology who decided from birth that they were going to be a poet. This is it. This is my life. And Browning's parents were really, really, really supportive of him. Potentially more supportive than they should have been. His hero was Shelley, and he decided to be more like Bith Shelley by becoming a vegetarian. Because that's how you develop poetic talent, <laughs> is copying the dietary requirements of your heroes. If I loved Elvis, which I do actually, uh, do I eat peanut butter burgers? Is that a thing? Um, no. Again, I digress with my theories on Elvis Presley and I promise you it is not another conspiracy theory. So, Johnny Cash had this late in life renaissance, right? And he went from being, I walk the line, to being like Rusty Cage, elderly goth. Why, I wish Elvis could have done that. How gorgeous would his voice have been as an old man with an acoustic background? I wish that could have existed and I hope there's a parallel universe. However, I would not copy the fashion style of Elvis and Browning did copy the fashion style and haircut of his other hero, Lord Byron, George Gordon, we love Byron. He just had this vibe. He needed to be creative. He, this is just what was gonna happen. He tried, age 21, to write a poem called Pauline, Fragments of a Confession. His parents bankrolled it and not a single copy sold. Age 23, he tried again with a poem 
called Paracelsus, which is a narrative poem about an Italian alchemist. And not a single copy sold. Critics, however, loved it. John Forster, who's come up before in my Christmas Carol episodes and was Dickens' bestie as well as being a critic, said, without the slightest hesitation, we name Mr Browning at once with Shelley, Coleridge and Wordsworth. It is some time since we read a work of more unequivocal power than this. Alright, so he's, he's a critic's darling, but no one's actually bought, a rec- a bought anything of his. He goes to some parties. He decides to hang out with famous actors. And then he decides, maybe I shouldn't be a poet. Maybe I should be a playwright. And he writes a drama called Stafford about the ethics involved in the English Civil War. Again, it kind of had like a Kramer versus Kramer vibe from what I can see. And it set up great premiere, great sort of first run. Four nights in, one of the leads ghosted the performance, never showed up and ran off to America. And that was it. (laughs) and then it closed he kind of for want of a better word bummed around like he just didn't really do much he tried again with the theatre but it was generally a bit rubbish and he sat around and however he pops up again a little bit later somehow and this is a blag and I, i'm a blagger but i respect this he talked himself into being the secretary to an ambassador's mission to russia despite having no qualifications in diplomacy or being involved in the foreign office he talked himself into this so off he trots as part of a diplomatic mission to Russia. Now, it's a long, rough and awful road. <laughs> like, we're not talking nice modern roads. We're not talking any kind of fast transport. He's in a carriage. And he has time on his hands. It is a long, cold, rubbish trip. So, what comes out of it? Porphyria's lover! <laughs> I would love to say that it's like some tragic thing where he murdered a girlfriend or something. But, nah, he wrote it to kill time. To uh, the equivalent of um, doing word searches on the road. So have a little listen to this. This is my wonderful voice actress Vicky reading this. And then we're going to have a little talk about it. The rain set early in tonight. The sullen wind was soon awake. It tore the elm tops down for spite and did its worst to vex the lake. I listened with heart fit to break when glided in Porphyria. Straight she shut the cold out and the storm and kneeled and made the cheerless grate blaze up and all the cottage warm. Which done, she rose and from her form withdrew the dripping cloak and shawl and laid her soiled gloves by, untied her hat, and let the damp hair fall. And last, she sat down by my side and called me. When no voice replied, she put my arm about her waist, and made her smooth white shoulder bare, and all her yellow hair displaced. And stooping, made my cheek lie there, and spread over all her yellow hair, 
murmuring how she loved me. She, too weak for all her heart's endeavour, to set its struggling passion free from pride and vainer ties to sever, and give herself to me forever. But passion sometimes would prevail, nor could tonight's gay feast restrain a sudden thought of one so pale for love of her, and all in vain. So she was come through wind and rain. Be sure I looked up at her eyes, happy and proud. At last I knew Porphyria worshipped me. Surprise made my heart swell, and still it grew while I debated what to do. That moment she was mine, mine, fair, perfectly pure and good. I found a thing to do, and all her hair in one long yellow string I wound three times her little throat around and strangled her. No pain, felt she. I am quite sure she felt no pain. As a shut bud that holds a bee, I warily opened her lids. Again laughed the blue eyes without a strain, and I untightened next the tress about her neck, her cheek once more blushed bright beneath my burning kiss. I propped her head up as before, only this time my shoulder bore her head, which droops upon it still. The smiley, rosy little head, so glad it has its utmost will, that all it scorned at once is fled, and I... Its love am gained instead. Porphyria's love. She guessed not how her darling one would wish would be heard. Her darling one wish would be heard. And thus we sit together now. And all night long we have not stirred. And yet God has not said a word. Alright, so there you have it. Porphyria. It's a good one actually. I quite like. I quite like it. I've always quite liked that one because it's got a little bit of a, little bit of a something something about it. It's a little bit spooky, but it's also weirdly like compelling. I was trying to research whether there's any other narratives from the classical world about you have to destroy the thing you love to preserve it. One of my friends said on Facebook, Avengers. Thanos wants to destroy the galaxy, which is not necessarily helpful. But he's playing on this trope of to love something, preserve it forever, you must kill it. Let's talk about the girl's name, Porphyria. So the number one person associated with Porphyria is the king, George III. He is not king at the time of writing, but he's the number one person for whom Porphyria comes up. So Porphyria is a genetic blood disorder. It includes aches and pains and your pee turns blue. Right, so modern people are now thinking that King George III, who was famously quote unquote mad because he had this Porphyria, also, well, currently people are thinking he did not have Porphyria, Research based at St George's University of London suggests that he actually had potentially bipolar or a psychiatric disorder, but due to the shame that that would cause the royal family, because, I mean, it's 
the 19th century. We cannot have a member of the family diagnosed with any kind of mental health disorder. And props to Princess Diana for coming out as being bulimic. Because I believe that would be the first one I can think of where a member of the royal family has spoken up about any mental health problems. So that's covered up. He has porphyria. What's interesting actually is one of the treatments for um, bipolar at this time was you were given a herbal extract called gentian which apparently also turns your pee blue it may well have just been the medicine that did it so he's the number one person associated with porphyria however there is another version which is called i'm gonna butcher this i'm so sorry Porphyria cutanea tarda, PCT. It's a blood disorder that affects the skin. It has been given the nickname the vampire disease. That's because people with this condition often experience symptoms following exposure to sunlight, according to the Healthline website. It's actually, it looks a bit like eczema or psoriasis from the pictures I'm looking at now. And it's generally considered not to be a huge, huge problem, but it's about one out of every 10,000 people has it. Did he know about the vampire disease? Is he playing a little gothic trick on us? Maybe. Are we tempted, as I keep seeing in uh, my students' anthology notes, is he making a comment about bad women? About, you know, her dirty gloves, she peeled it off, women's are bad. Um, maybe, maybe not. I mean, he is religious, but he's not one of the authors that's gone on record about having a specific problem with women. So it's not really a straight line with that. Can we say it's a like he thinks his wife is so perfect that he would try to destroy her well no it's written about 10 years before he met her and the one point where we could say there was a similarity is he had a temper on him so apparently if you annoyed browning or you insulted someone or something he cared about he would just absolutely lose it so there's not a lot of records of Browning. I'm gonna be honest. Apparently there are only about 50 surviving letters of his. Whereas someone like Keats there's about 400. So we don't necessarily get a full picture of Browning from himself. We also sort of have to build it up from other people's perceptions. He was a very very direct slash rude individual he was telling it like it is to the point of it being rude and i said in the last episode that he really reminds me of my boyfriend who is direct to the point of being rude and i was like you remind me of robert browning he was like who's that i'm not bothered I'm like, oh my god you're so robert browning right now so what we can say is it's not him. It's not, we can't link this to anything autobiographical to Browning. 
just a made up character. He really liked writing in character and he liked having these invented stories and it comes up over and over and over again. People are really surprised when they meet him and he's normal. The other thing that Browning becomes famous for in between Porphyria and My Last Duchess is being incomprehensibly wordy. <laughs> like, people, he gets published and the critics aren't bad or good. They're just confused. <laughs> when he writes his, like, famous poem called Mould, critics are just like, sheer confusion like what is he talking about but it's back to this thing where he thinks he's normal because he's grown up with this crazy vocabulary and he's like but doesn't everybody speak like this talk about a fairly normal thing browning did though he went on a holiday to italy Ah, i like that so i'm going on a holiday to italy in about a month and i cannot wait i'm going to a slightly different bit to the bit browning went on so where did he go he went to Venice, Trieste, Treviso, and Bassano. This holiday basically sparked something inside him, and he became in love with Italy. He loved everything about Italy. Art, food, music, culture, politics. It became such a part of him. And this one specific holiday is so important. The thing that might connect this holiday to My Last Duchess is all the places he went were circled around the Duke of Ferrera's former territory. We know the Duke of Ferrera is important because it's the subtitle of My Last Duchess, Ferrera. We also know it's important because when My Last Duchess was first published, the title was Italy and he just got back from Italy. So we know there's a link. Right, get your ears round a really nice reading of My Last Duchess by my voice actor Casper and then let's have a little chat about that one too. That's my last duchess painted on the wall, looking as if she were alive. I call that piece a wonder now. Fra Pandolf's hands worked busily a day, and there she stands. Would please you sit and look at her? I said Fra Pandolf by design, for I never read strangers like you that pictured countenance. The depth and passion of its earnest glance, but to myself they turned, since none puts by the curtain I have drawn for you but I, and seemed as they would ask me, if they durst, how such a glance came there. So, not the first of you to turn and ask thus. Sir, t'was not her husband's presence only called that spot of joy into the Duchess's cheek. Perhaps for our Pandolf chance to say, her mantle laps over my lady's wrist too much, or paint must never hope to reproduce the faint half-flush that dies along her throat. Such stuff was courtesy, she thought, and cause enough for calling up that spot of joy. She had a heart, how shall I say, too soon made glad, too easily impressed. She liked whate'er she looked on, and her looks went everywhere. Sir, t'was all one. My favourite her breast, the dropping of the daylight in the west, the bow of cherries some officious fool broke in the orchard for her, the white mules she rode with around the terrace, all and each would draw from her alike the approving speech, or blush at least. She thanked men. Good. But thanked somehow... I know not how, as if she ranked my gift of a nine hundred years old name with anybody's gift. 
And who'd stoop to blame this sort of trifling? Even had you skill in speech, which I have not, to make your will quite clear to such an one and say, Just this or that in you disgusts me. Here you miss, or there exceed the mark. And if she let herself be lessened so, nor plainly set her wits to yours forsooth and made excuse, and then would be some stooping, and I choose never to stoop. Oh, sir, she smiled, no doubt, whene'er I passed her. But who passed without much the same smile? This grew. I gave commands. Then all smiles stopped together. There she stands, as if alive. Will's please you rise. We'll meet the company below, then. I repeat, the Count, your master's known munificence, is ample warrant that no just pretense of mine for dowry will be disallowed, though his fair daughter's self, as I avowed at starting, is my object. Nay, we'll go together down, sir. Notice Neptune, though, taming a seahorse, thought a rarity, which Klaus of Innsbruck cast in bronze for me. Alright, so who is the Duke? As I said, there might be connection to Browning since he has this issue with his anger and apparently threatened to bottle someone when they um, had a problem with one of his wife's poems. <laughs> and that is 100% what I would do, is write a formal letter which is like, I am going to bottle you. Yes. Well, there is a real Duke of Ferreira. His name is Alfonso II de Este, and he was the Duke of Ferreira between 1533 and 1597. We think it is potentially him, because in 1588 he married his wife Lucrezia de Cosimo de' Medici, granddaughter of the Duke of Tuscany. He married her age 14. Right, 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 I know, I know, it's wrong, it's a different time, ew. But medieval Italian aristocrats, man, we're just gonna leave it there. Two years after she died, it was widely believed he poisoned her, and she died at the age of 16. It's now thought that she had leukaemia. So he probably is off the hook, but he is also a bit of a badden. It would explain the fact she's so young and the thing about the white pony and the cherries. Yeah. Would make sense, wouldn't it? Would make sense. He did not have any children and was very, very interested in castrato choir boys, leading many people to suspect he was homosexual. The, again, another thread running through the anthology is closeted homosexuals. So I'm adding this into threads you didn't know about the anthology. Either the writer or the subject was not discussing that stuff. And considering as his holiday was all around Ferreira's estates, he could well have seen something and it sort of resonated with him and he thought, oh, there's a good story here. Another slightly more a uh, South London explanation, as always, South London, yeah, is the Dulwich Picture Gallery. He loved going to the Dulwich Picture Gallery as a young man, and we're thinking the point at which South London is mostly fields. Remember Dickens said that Blackheath was out in the countryside. So it's a nice ride on your horse between Camberwell and Dulwich, and I really recommend Dulwich Picture Gallery as a visit anyway. 
but one of the painters exhibited there was Fra Angelico. Not Fra Pandolf, he's made up, but Fra Angelico is the only other painter I can find information on who was a monk, who was a friar. Did some of Fra Angelico's paintings, which it would be really weird if Browning had not seen them because they were exhibited at the Dulwich Picture Gallery during a time where Browning was going there all the time. I would not be surprised if that was not what inspired him. I can't see any pictures of anyone who's actually ducal, but if you Google some of his work, the vibe of them is exactly how it comes out in my head. So really look at Fra Angelico's work, because I, I want to feel like that's what's in his head. Let's also think about Neptune, though taming a seahorse thought a rarity which Klaus of Innsbruck cast in bronze for me. That's not real, but it does sound like the fountain of Neptune in Florence, which Browning did see. So I'm going with context we need to know. He bloomin' loves Italy. He's seen it all. And he also likes the Dulwich Picture Gallery. He did have a bit of a weird fascination with the creepy stories. I reckon if he was alive today, he would have been writing a TV show like Dexter or Hannibal or something. He loved that kind of weird stuff. But it's not real. It is a fi complete fiction, completely made up. What is weird, though, is these two stand out among the rest of the poems. So the collection they was published in is called Dramatic Lyrics, and the rest of them are quite, like, rousing and jolly. And the two that have been picked for young people to study is the quiet horror ones. And believe me, it is not representative of Browning's work as a whole. I've got something special to play for you now, and I am absolutely astounded this is even a thing. I have a recording of Robert Browning's actual voice, and I, I cannot get over this. I'm absolutely loving it. And do I have some old recordings for you on the Light Brigade episode? Yes, I do! But anyway, the poem that Browning's reading, and the audio quality on this is astounding considering as it's like 150 years old, but he's a little bit crackly by our standards, and... It hasn't been preserved well. He is reading a poem called How They Brought the News from Ghent to A, which is a very, like, rousing, horse ridey kind of poem. Try and listen to the intonation, bring up a copy of the words if you can, and have a listen to the man himself. I tell us, let's 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 tell us, let's
probably say more than that. I am astounded by some of the things that were recorded, and that was 1889, and recorded on a wax cylinder. What the, what the blooming heck? So, there you go. There you have it, Robert Browning. Very middle class, very ordinary to the outside, snappy dresser, very much in love with Elizabeth Barrett, but inside was capable of writing nine comprehensible, completely fictional, stuff about murderers, murderers, and psychopaths. I love a little bit of Browning. If you like a little bit of Browning, I think his poem, The Laboratory, is much, much better. <laughs> than the ones included and I would make that choice I would put that in if it was up to me but sadly I don't know if anyone from the DFE is listening hire me to do your new your new anthology I'm a bit skint at the moment so I could use it and I'm gonna have some views right thank you very, very much thank you very much for listening my feeling next week is I might do Charge of the Light Brigade the Noble 600 but I might not, I'm thinking Light Brigade next the book will be coming out the book is I'm surprisingly inspired this week so I'm hoping hoping over half term I get some work done it should be with you guys by Easter YouTube slash Straight Talking English I'm most of the way through the Ozymandias video but I actually have to hope that Storm Sierra allows me to film this week Thank you very, very much. SDR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkenglish.com. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Patreon slash straighttalkenenglish. Make this happen. I will speak to you next week. Enjoy your bonus content as this is February. Thank you very much and I'll speak to you soon. (laughs) 